Hello, and welcome to Writer's Group Therapy. I'm Tom. And I'm Roshni. We're writers helping writers with whatever writing ailments you might have. Whether it's related to your craft or your career, we can help. Are you ready for your session? The The doctors doctors are are in. in. anniversary tom it is it's uh, uh i can't believe it's been a year already pretty much i feel like it was just yesterday but it wasn't <laughs> so for any of you guys who are wondering what we're talking about it has been a year since at least in los angeles and the united states we went into covid lockdown yes and uh do you remember where you were like when the announcement came down i literally remember where i was I totally do. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to talk? Um, well, I was at work. I was at um, the tour company. I was I worked at, you know, doing customer service for Hollywood tours and literally got the announcement, you know, from the governor that we're locked down. And we basically closed up shop and went home. <laughs> and uh, well, things were already starting to slow down. We we just said we're not coming to work, you know, tomorrow is, yeah. you know, was the end of it. We just closed the doors because we we were definitely not an essential business. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember, well, I think when when uh, we had like an official like, okay, guys, we're packing up, we're going home was actually I was in my dodgeball league. Like we just sort of stopped and, like, and cleaned up and went home. <laughs> Mid throw. Mid throw, right? But you know what was interesting? I remember this time last year. So I worked a lot the first week of March. And then the second week of March, I had a few auditions. And one of them was for some commercial. But the audition was in person because obviously we were still doing in-person auditions at the time in Santa Monica. And for those of you who don't live in L.A., trying to get to the West Side in the afternoon is like you might as well just curl in a ball and cry. It's just it it really, really sucks because the traffic to get out there, then you have the audition, the traffic to get back. And it was a two-day call, and I didn't go the first day, and I, de- I was debating going on the second day. And then they sent out an email that said, hey, guys, we had such an outpouring of people on the first day. It was like standing room only. People were waiting for hours. You know, everyone's on top of each other. Just be prepared if you come for the second day. Come early and expect to stay for hours. And I remember because we'd been hearing about, you know, this uh, illness that was coming out of China. And I, I just remember thinking in my head, it's coming this way. It's coming this way. And I looked at that notice and I thought, do I really want to go to this audition? And I looked at when it was going to shoot. It was like at the end of March, like March 24th or something. And I thought, this thing's going to be canceled. So I just didn't go because I was like, it's not worth it. It's good. And then sure enough, we went into lockdown and everything beyond March 17 got canceled. So I was like, well, there you go. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, you know, I think I thought like, oh, we'll be done with this by like, I thought we'd be back at it by 4th of July. So. Oh, wow. You were optimistic. I was being optimistic. <laughs> I was like, oh, this will be a few months. We'll be fine. You know, but then, yeah, that didn't go so well. Yeah. And do you remember the, I remember that initial like feeling in the first month. I'm not just talking about the mad rush to go get toilet paper, but just in the industry, everyone's like, so are we still filming things? Should we keep writing things should i finish editing that project like everyone's like what do we do now yeah we really didn't have an idea of what we were in for i mean it was kind of you know we look back on it with hindsight but you know it was kind of like really bizarre and and hollywood got totally you know i live right i lived right in hollywood and it got totally quiet and it's bizarre to not have traffic in la like that you know go, go for a drive and be like where is everyone it's like a ghost town yeah i mean it it's single handedly 
kind of annihilated the industry because we are so dependent on being with people. You know, that is the whole crux of the entertainment industry. You're sure. always with people. And it was just like, you know, for an industry that's going 600 miles an hour, it just went like completely dead. Right. And as writers, you know, most of what we do in L.A. is about networking, you know, our, mm-hmm. you know, and meeting people and pitching. And that was all, you know, nobody ever thought that, you know, that wouldn't happen until it didn't. Yeah. There are online methods of pitching and online pitch fests and, you know, seminars and webinars and stuff. These, those have been around for a long time, but they weren't like the main way you did things, which is obviously what they came to be. They came to be like the the tools that you had to use as opposed to options you could try. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, I mean, the year was obviously very quiet, but I really missed. I really started feeling it around Christmas. Because usually around the holidays is when we have the networking events for like everything. Oh, Writers, yeah. actors, everything. Uh, every I weekend. missed that. I really, really missed that this past year. Yeah, we met at a Christmas party. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah. Those are, you know, used to have two or three of those a week, it seemed. And those are fantastic. Great places to meet people and network. And then nothing. And then nothing. <laughs> a lot of people bailed. They, they said nothing's happening. So they got out of town. You know, we talked about the exodus, so the quote unquote exodus before, but mm-hmm. we stuck it out, kept We're going still here. Yeah, I thought I'd get more done. <laughs> I didn't. Oh. <laughs> you know, when it when we started to settle in that this is going to be a lot longer, you know, I kind of like, oh, OK, I'm going to work on these projects and these scripts. And I guess I got some things done, but I didn't get, you know, exactly what I planned to accomplish. How did you do? Did you well, you you were working on audiobooks already and. And you're you're working on your novel too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, in that respect, it was nice because it was productive. So I really ramped up on the voiceover side. And then, like you just mentioned, I was writing my fir- very first novel. But it's funny because you don't realize how much you need life as an inspiration until life is not really happening around you. Because what are you going to write about? You're just sitting, you know, watching your four walls, you know, watching paint dry kind of thing. And last year, especially, you know, it's trendy. Everybody was like the rise of the Zoom script and nobody wanted to watch them. Did you notice that? Everybody filmed. Yeah, everybody filmed a Zoom film. And I think only one of them, people were like, oh, this is interesting. And after that, everyone's like, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to watch the virus on TV. You know, like I think a couple shows mentioned it. And then they were like, let's pretend that quarantine is done because nobody wanted to keep seeing it. We were right. living it. We didn't want to watch it in our entertainment. Yeah. There was one, uh, John, Tr- John Cho, um, the actor who was in the new Star Trek. He, he did one where I think his daughter went missing and it was all through the computer. He was doing the research to try to locate his missing daughter. Oh, that was before COVID though. I know. And that's the interesting thing is that that came out early in the, in the lockdown because it had already been made. So it was kind of prophetic almost. That one actually came out way before lockdown. I feel like that was in 2019. That one's been out for a while. Was it? I don't know. Yeah, I because thought... I remembered seeing it like months and months before lockdown. Maybe you didn't see it in your queue till That's lockdown. That's possibly. That's very but possible. But that one's, uh, I forgot what it's called. I can see the poster in my head too. Hilarious. I can't remember the title. But no, that one's been out for a while. Yeah. Sorry, Tom. No, that's fine. Uh, but no, the idea is that that's the kind of movie everyone started to want to make, you know, one where you could have people in one room or one place. Um, 
there was a movie on uh, on Amazon. I think it was called Seventy Five Hundred. It was with uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt as that a pilot. Was good. Yeah, that he, was good. Yeah, that was basically alone in the cockpit for this whole crisis. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was created as a COVID, you know, era movie, or if it was just done as a you know contained thriller kind of thing. I think that one was filmed before COVID. I think so too. Yeah, but they kind of were like the big name ones that kind of like you know, people then looked to and, and said, well, well, these are the kind of movies we can make. And then some of them, you know, came out and didn't do so well. But there, but there's a big difference between a contained script in like one location versus like a contained script, which is a Zoom show. Yeah. You know, the zo- the nobody, Zoom ones wa- were... nobody wanted to watch. That's what I'm saying. Nobody wanted to watch the ones that were like the Zoom thriller or like the Zoom comedy. People were like, I don't want to watch Zoom because I'm on Zoom all the time. Yeah, everybody's pretty much over Zoomed, and there's been studies. Actually, I think Stanford did a study on Zoom fatigue. P- people didn't realize that just because you sit in a room in a meeting doesn't make it, quote unquote, face to face like a video call or a Zoom. Yeah. There's like a science behind it. How when you're in a, in a meeting room, you can look at anything. You can look at the wall, look at your notepad. You know, you can go right on the board. But when you're on Zoom, there's this like direct cont- eye contact kind of thing <laughs> You that can't happens. look away, yeah. Yeah, so it's actually much more fatiguing, like physically, immensely. Can I just say also in the last year, how much we've put the word fatigue on everything. Zoom fatigue, quarantine fatigue, lockdown fatigue, like everything is something fatigue. Have you noticed uh, that? Yeah, I, I, you know, that goes along with everyone just kind of being sick of everything, yeah. Oh my the gosh! Whole, yeah. The whole wanting to go back to normal, which you know whether we will, you know, what level of normal we'll go back to is still to be determined. The film industry, you know, so you know, shut down for a long time, but then you started to see things like commercials are still getting made, and then indie films were were popping up that had been made somehow. And then, as the big studios said, you know, we can't sit around forever. They started to put, you know, they had the resources, the money to, you know, sequester their entire cast and crew in some remote location to film or, you know, to put in the testing protocols to to do it locally. You know, so that's a huge change, you know, that's probably not going to end anytime soon. I certainly didn't write as much as I thought it was going to. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was this whole idea of like, oh, well, I could just work on all these scripts that I've never finished, these ones that I'm in like act one on. Um, or just ideas. So I and you know some people said like you should be um, you know we should all be productive because we don't have to work or we don't have to go go anywhere, and that didn't happen. And there's a lot of psychology behind like the fatigue part. You were you know it's there's a mental strain that makes it harder to do those kind of things because of the situation you're in. Well, I think as far as like being productive and working at home. I don't know if you felt this way. I felt like I kind of went in cycles where like right in the beginning, when you're in that mental lock of like, is the world ending? What's going on? You kind of can't concentrate. And then when you're like, okay, I'm accepting things and it sort of feels like a vacation and you feel really productive and you're working on things. And then you're kind of like, you you go through that 180 again where you're like, oh my gosh, I just want a normal routine and I want to, you know, take my laptop to the coffee shop and right there and, you know, but I can't and things like that. And so I think like it's one thing when you have the choice to go out and, you know, meet with friends and write in a coffee shop and sit on the beach, you know, or whatever. But when you don't have those choices, it it kind of slows your brain down a little bit, too. 
if that yeah. makes sense. No, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, the, the idea that I could be going out and doing other things, but I'm staying home to be productive. I'm working on my projects because I work at home my, on my other stuff too. Mm-hmm. That makes you feel like you've accomplished something. But when you have to be at home and you're at home all the time, because you don't have another choice and you yeah. can't go out, then you're kind of like, well, where do you draw the line between working and not working? And then it feels, you know, of course, time kind of changes, like how you know, the days and weeks go by kind of fast, too. So you actually don't realize how much you're either getting done or not getting done. That's a that's a different your 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 brain gets into a different mental state then. Yeah. I guess one of the things would be like, is this ever going to end? <laughs> well, one of the things I was wondering, and this goes to the, the you know, working with agents and managers and stuff. Some of them shut down. Some of them kept working. Then it, it kind of became like a, there was this theory that, oh, well, if all the agents are not, you know, working on booking, you know, their clients for stuff, then maybe it's a good time to pitch them your stuff to try to get an agent. And then it became kind of I think then they got overwhelmed where they each had thousands of scripts uh, stacked up on their in their inbox or whatever. I was going to say who said it was a good time to pitch to an agent? They had, they barely had any projects to send their current rosters to. Right. Well, the idea is that they didn't have any they weren't making deals cuz nothing was getting produced. So so from that perspective they had time cuz they weren't on that side of their business. You know, there's the yeah. the recruiting their their the writers to their their pool and then there's the going out pitching the writers but if no one was producing anything then the writers didn't have any work so they didn't have any of that to do i mean it's kind of you know everything's a pipeline it's kind of hard to pitch a project not only because you don't know if it will be produced but also you don't know if it's the type of thing that can be produced during this time or will be popular to be produced for example if you like you know like we talked before you go pitch a zoom project to a an agent, maybe last March, they were like, that's cool. Now they're like, oh, excuse me, no. Nobody wants to watch that. So again, it's, you know, the timeliness of the thing. But, you know, this would actually be a great time to talk about changes we've seen in industry. We've touched upon it over the year, but we'll condense it here. And what do you think the biggest change has been? Besides the fact that everyone sh- shut down for a while? <laughs> yeah, well, we've talked about animation quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the the section of the industry that's thrived actually in this day and age. And pitching animated shows was was pretty hot, at least I thought for a while. You know, I've actually been pitching a, a story myself um, for you know wherever I can, mm-hmm. and I've heard from people that there is a need. People are looking for animated shows, and then animation because you know it doesn't involve physical sets. Um, you know, they were able to use technology to keep production running remotely. There's actually, I've read some articles where a lot of animators are really happy with how this has worked out. It's given them, you know, they don't have to sit in rush hour traffic for 10 or 12 hours a week. Um, and it, it makes them, you know, get more work done and less stress and less, you know, anxiety about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think, you know, what's funny is right before all of this happened, all of those fights between the Writers Guild and the agents was a big topic. And then when everything shut down, I mean, I know that they're still working through all of those things, but it just sort of became a non-issue. You know, like, did you notice you didn't hear about it as much? At first, there were supposed to be like discussions, I think, between the Writers Guild and, and the agency organization. And 
they put that aside to do something for, you know, all the people displaced. And they, they, there was a lot of talk about, um, and, and actually during the holidays, a lot of the, um, the agencies, I, I read about how they, instead of they're throwing their lavish parties they used to throw, they donated money to, you know, support groups that were helping out of place, you know, actors and writers and whatever it was. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, I feel like it initially, you know, well not initially, initially and through the first the later part of last year, there was some positive stuff that came out of that, but um, it seemed like then the fight kind of grew back. It came back to the front end. Some of the, some of the smaller agencies started, you know, signing deals with the WGA and, and now it seems like the bigger ones have finally kind of like figured out they have to come up with some sort of deal. And they're, they're mostly, I think, working it out. It just seems like it's so much on the down low. I don't know. It, I could it's be much wrong. less of a yeah. It's yeah. not the the court stuff is done. They're not fighting out in court anymore. I don't think. I think that's all over with. So it's kind of just negotiations again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was a big deal before before the lockdown happened. It was like it was a it was like everyone was yelling. It was and huge. And, yeah, it was huge. Yeah, because I think wasn't like one of the biggest meetings supposed to happen like right as lockdown hit, or like in May. It was it like was, somewhere. It in was that coming time, right? up. Yeah. It was coming up and then they put it, they had to put it off. And that's when they started talking about, well, what can we do instead of fighting about this thing? Cause obviously it's not as important as what's going on in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the thing was the writers had already um, fired all their agents at that point mm-hmm. when the lockdown happened. So the agencies didn't have clients to represent. Mm-hmm. Then the clients didn't have projects to work on. So it kind of everyone kind of came to a halt at, at that point. That's crazy. Yeah. So, what other things have you seen change? Well, the rise of streaming and oh, the yeah. is AMC closing? Question. I can't even tell anymore. AMC uh, had had acquired more financing to keep it going. Uh, I think it was a Chinese company or something. So mm. they're okay. I just read that Alamo Draft House filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. I saw that one. Yeah. yeah. I never went to one, but I feel bad for them. Um, I feel like I should have gone to one. Do they have them in our area? I think there is one in L.A. I, th- I think the recent okay. article mentioned there was one here. I just never heard of it or went to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then um, I'm trying to think the Cinemarks was doing okay. It's a mishmash of what, you know, what theater chains have done to stay in business and, and, yeah. and whether they're going to be reopening. But it looks like they're, you know, most of them are going to be okay in one, one fashion or another. And then the big question is, will people go back to the theaters, which we've talked about on a lot of cases. I caught up a lot on my backlog of TV watching and movie watching. You know, the lockdown gave me a little extra time to catch up and the streamers um, you know, with the back catalog, really, I mean, there's, I think there's several, at least a half a dozen or more shows with, I was like two to three years behind on that I managed to catch up on. So streaming was, been a big part of my life through this. And obviously Netflix's stock price, um, certainly reflects that. I was saying, and now we got Paramount Plus is, uh, is launching this, uh, in the next week or two. That's going to be the new CBS all access is becoming Paramount Plus and they're lumping more stuff in with it. So that's the latest streamer. Wow, I didn't know that they had a new one coming out. Yeah, it seems like they just can't stop making streamers. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, they'll need more content, you know, um, original content for that. Apple's mm-hmm. Apple Plus has kind of limped along. You know, it's where Netflix has done great. And uh, 
I'm saying that Disney Plus has done huge numbers. Apple Plus is, you know, they haven't been real for, forward with their numbers, but word is that most people that subscribe to it still get it for free. I do. Um, over a year now since I got, I, I think I bought an Apple TV, so I got a year of Apple Plus free. Mm-hmm. And then they just sent an email saying, we're just going to keep letting you use it for free for another three or six months or whatever it was. <laughs> they're on their second seasons, though, of some of their shows. So, you know, they're starting to build their catalog. Maybe more people will check it out. You know, it's it's interesting. If anything that the pandemic has shown us, like it's so we've talked about Apple programs before and like the one actually, OK, two shows I've seen on their uh lineup have been really good uh morning show and then we were watching for all mankind recently and they're good but the thing is like apple itself like the interface is not easy to use which is funny because apple computers are really intuitive and like just like we're talking about like people in zoom fatigue and all this stuff like if anything from the pandemic they need to make all technology really intuitive and accessible because we rely on it so much and if it's not like if you can't figure it out within a few clicks, you're just like, forget it. You know, I don't want to watch this program. I don't want to yeah. you know, sign up for this service because I don't want to jump through this many hoops. Yeah, I find um, since I use a lot of different services and I use Apple TV because you can have all of them on one interface. I find I, I can see the differences between them, like which ones are good and which ones are bad. And it mm-hmm. seems like they need to have some kind of they need to have a Zoom meeting. And talk about the, <laughs> like best practices and stuff. Yeah. Not, I don't think there's any one of them that's really nailed it down yet. You mean like user friendly? No, no, I don't think any of them have. Um, Disney Plus was kind of uh, unique because they had such big buckets of content. You had the Star Wars bucket, the Pixar bucket, the Disney bucket. No, oh, yeah. So they they kind of and the Marvel bucket. So they were able to divide it up that way, which is kind of helpful. But then you know, like Netflix um, used to be actually easier to use they kind of lump everything together and it's, it's very hard to um, sort and organize on the screen, like to find things. Cause it's just one, I mean, I have such a long queue. I don't even know how many things are in my queue now, but to find anything, you either have to just search for it or you have to scroll through hundreds and hundreds of shows to find it. it used, well, to, because be, Netflix, used to be on like the their, computer. Yeah. Well, I was going to say because Netflix, the way they seem to um, put everything together, it's just a rabbit hole. It's like, oh, did you watch, you know, this one show about this one subject? You'll like 50 shows on the same subject. You're like, thanks, you know. Yeah. I hate when you do research on something and you look up a show and then you just did it for the research and you don't really care about it. And then and that's then, all they give you. Then they start. Show, it's it's kind of like Amazon, yeah. too. When you order things yeah. on Amazon, they are recommending the same product, even though it was just for research. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. It's so funny. And we talked we actually did a whole episode on getting in a rut where um, like Netflix would always show you things you currently watch instead of exposing you to new things too. So you kind of have to be a little more um, adventurous and search out new things and different things. And I think there's been one of the things that the promotion of online um, movies has been uh, bigger, you know, used to be all the advertising for movies and uh, and TV was, you know, big billboards, broadcast network shows and big blockbuster tentpole movies. And now you start to see some advertising or at least social media for these smaller movies that have come out on social, on, uh, on social, on streamers, on Amazon and Netflix, their original films. And you start to see these things that you probably would have missed otherwise that are, are pretty good. Like Queen's Gambit has become mm, a huge yeah. hit. 
even yeah. though it's about a woman playing chess, it's it's not. It's very well done. It's a very yeah. well done. It's a great show, but it's it's kind of um, you know not what you would imagine being such a huge hit. It, it's kind of thing that you would see, you know, that would be you know the Oscar contender or the you know Emmy contender um, that people would be like, what was that show? Because I never saw it because it was on you know Bravo mm-hmm. or whatever. But because it's on Netflix and it, and Netflix has such you know huge numbers and it has the trending and all that kind of stuff going for it. Some of these things, you know, that might have otherwise been overlooked are getting a lot more views and a lot more exposure. So I think that's great for smaller films and smaller shows that you, you know, you never heard of before with actors you never heard of before. It's giving those people, you know, and the writers, obviously, and the producers and directors, giving them more exposure, which is a really good thing. Yeah. Well, you brought up an interesting point, actually, because we aren't going to see films in theaters what's usually the primary way of advertising a new show or, or movie is trailers. Right. Yeah. You know, online. There's gotta be other, online. Yeah. And have you noticed that, have you noticed that trailers have gotten really long? Like, cause I, you and I talk, we want, we both watch a lot of YouTube and like, if a trailer comes up for a new show, trailers used to be like a minute or less. They're like five minutes long now. Have you noticed that? Um, some of them, yeah, are almost like mini sods. Like they're yeah. literally, literally doing a like a a sizzle reel, a, t- a teaser. I'm yeah. just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to watch this long of a trailer because I'm not used to it. It's too long for me. But yeah, I don't know if that's the new trend or something. But I watch a lot more YouTube these days. I get mm-hmm. a lot of my news from YouTube. I do too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we've kind of been addicted to news lately, um, and more news sources are putting clips and whole episodes of their their evening broadcasts on YouTube. While they have their own streaming channels, they're they're putting it out there. In fact, I think they're commercial free, which is unusual too. Yeah. You know, we never actually discussed it. We might have kind of touched on it in an, in another episode. I'm not sure. But did we ever talk about the late night talk show hosts and who did the best job transitioning? In during quarantine, I think we've. I, I know you've talked and told me personally about it. Oh, um, okay. Your faves. I don't know if we talked about it on the show though. Oh, okay. Yeah, but because I, yeah, it's a good. T- it's a good thing to c- kind of compare. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny is okay. So we watch a lot of late night talk show hosts or whatever. Um, Seth Meyers is one of our favorites. Mm-hmm. We watch a lot of Stephen Colbert, and we were we got in really into Trevor Noah. I don't know if we really watched a lot of Trevor Noah before quarantine, but for some reason, like we were watching a lot of Trevor Noah. And, you know, I, I liked Conan before uh, lockdown, so I'd watch him a little bit after lockdown and stuff like that. You know who I seriously think, if you had to like grade all of the late night shows, Trevor Noah they did a great job because he shot his segments like a YouTuber because they knew like that's the platform people are going to be watching on right now during lockdown. So I don't know if you ever noticed, but the way they do the editing and the way he like addresses the camera and just everything about it, it's like watching a YouTube video versus like the others who tried to keep that like studio feel and it didn't quite work because they didn't have a studio uh. audience and like no one to react to the jokes and like you could see how dependent they were on having that studio feel. And Trevor Noah, just the way they did the the jump cuts and his expressions and everything, I'm like... You got it, man. Like, I will watch this all the time because he just, they had it down. I don't know how to explain it. Go watch it, everybody. Compare okay, them. Yeah, Tell me what you think. Yeah, yeah, I've been watching a lot of, um, I watch a lot of the same ones you do, but I also watch uh, James Corden and, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jimmy Kimmel a lot. Jimmy Kimmel really kind of stuck to the studio. He just did it with no audience. Mm-hmm. 
and now and now they're starting to get back into the studios. At first, they would get into the studio with yeah. basically their staff would be the audience, you know, all spread out in the theater. Colbert's still using just a set, and uh, Seth Meyers is still just using a set. I don't know if he's in his actual studio or not. I'm I'm trying to remember. I feel like he's kind of gone back and forth. I think at one point they did go back, and then he was back in like the home. Yeah. I think now he's completely back in the studio, though. I think. I'd have yeah. to watch again. <laughs> My favorite was John Oliver because he did his in an empty white void. <laughs> oh yes, I remember his. Yeah, yes. that that was my favorite. So he <laughs> he really helped me get through the pandemic. I think. Yeah. Stuck in his white void. So fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's got to be hard though. You know, like if you think about it, because that's a special form of writing. You know, to write like a late night talk show, and when you're dependent on a studio audience to give you some of it back, some of that energy back, that's got to be really hard to write and to do, you know, mm-hmm. when you don't have the audience. I don't think John Oliver ever had an audience. I thought his was always on set. Well, just because you... But you then he's got the bonus. No, <laughs> you mean a set with no audience? John right. Oliver doesn't have an audience? Oh, okay. No, no. So I think he always had that. So he was kind of lucky, I guess, and he, he didn't have to worry about audience reaction. I don't think he did. Have to, I'd have to go back now and we'll look now. we'll have to now. look this up, yeah. yeah. I assumed that all late night hosts had an audience. Uh, well, he's not late night. He's HBO, and he would be one night a week. So his was... Oh, okay. He had a very... He had a highly produced show is what he had. He he didn't have guests or anything. He was just talking about a subject. So he didn't really oh, okay. n- need an audience or have an audience to play off of. It's kind of interesting to compare him to the people who did have to go through that transition of yeah. audience to no audience. And it'd be funny because they'd be doing their jokes and they kind of sit there waiting for, for the laugh yeah. and it wouldn't yeah. come. And it was kind of funny at first and they kind of mellowed out, but, uh, and got into it, but and then they'd just be like, you know, kind of riffing with the camera guy. <laughs> that yeah. would be it. Yeah. No, it's like I said, it's gotta be really hard because, you know, especially too, even as a writer, you don't realize until you don't have it that that, like, if that's the format and you're like, insert laugh here and you're like, oh. Okay. And then I don't know if you noticed over time, even the the hosts themselves, when they would crack the joke and they would just be like, yeah, that was lame. Like they would just acknowledge it, you know, yeah. like, yeah, that's not going to work. You know, there was, a, there was a bit more self-effacingness. Yeah. There, yeah. Was, there was a lot of that. Yeah. So what do you think is going to, you know, we're at one year. When do you think uh, we're going to see, uh, I think we talked about this, a slow progression towards normality, hopefully. Things are slowly getting getting back there. Like what's going to happen? We're in March of 2021 right now. Future predictions. Let me see. Well, I wonder if this will completely kill the whole idea of pilot and episodic season. Mm-hmm. Or if it'll like hyperdrive it. Because in theory now, um, this is pilot season. And, you know, I I don't know. Do you know what's going on? I mean... It, I it don't so under the radar, you know, with the streamers taking over so much of the market, you know, the broadcast, the broadcast season has become less, you know, important to the overall market, I guess, is the thing. Mm-hmm. But it, but that still matters because like pilot season and episodic season still matters to writers and producers and actors because it was our cues for when to pitch things or when to go out and audition for things and stuff like that. Right. So that changes it for the people behind the scenes for sure. So that's something to think about. 
Right. That's that's all part of what the WGA was fighting about, too, Mm -hmm. was the seasons were shorter on streamers. And how does that allow writers to work on multiple shows because you can't, you know, overlap? Yeah. And that's going to be a big change. If if things are all haphazard and there is no pilot season, then how do you manage that? I was going to say my my thing on the whole COVID uh, um, changes in COVID because of COVID in production, um, we're going to see, um, first of all, the vaccines are going to be slowly getting out into the market, you know, into the into people. So mm-hmm. that's going to help. But at the same time, uh, COVID testing is going to get cheaper and quicker. There are several um, at home kind of instant like pregnancy style tests COVID things where you swab your own nose and and the the line turns blue or whatever it is, if you're positive or not. So that's going to speed up um, testing a lot in the next few months as they ramp up production of those. It's going to change everything for schools and businesses and everything. So you'll, you'll get faster, you'll get instant results like in 10 minutes instead of, you know, two days or three days or so that's going to help a lot. And I think that'll allow things to get going faster and have less stop and starts. Mm-hmm. because they'll be able to identify people who are positive quicker and get them isolated before they have a chance to, you know, infect everyone, everyone else on the crew and having to like shut down for two weeks. Mm-hmm. I think you might see more a rise in regional markets as well, because it's just so much easier to pull talent. Like, let's say you're shooting in like Kentucky or something. It's easier to pull people from that immediate area than fly them out from like L.A. or New York and make them quarantine for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And then having to test when you get there and test when you, you know, test every day. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, again, like we said, the big productions can go wherever they want and sequester the whole cast and crew and do that. But on the smaller productions, it might be easier to, to pick a more, you know, I guess you call it um, geographically desirable area. That's like outside of LA. That's not so populous where you can eat more easily do that. And the people that live there are already, if you know, especially if they have vaccines then. And I feel like, I know we, we cited that one article where they were talking about animation moving outside of L.A., and we can put that in the show notes. Um, but I also think that that is only applicable to people who are already very well established in their field. So I think if you were established in 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 animation or in writing or you know whatever that you can do remotely and you did move during covid you can probably continue to do it remotely because you already were established but i think for newcomers like i want to break into the business i think you might still have to go to an industry center unless sure. you have really good online connections well and it comes back to expense you know companies see um well gee we're saving a lot of money on real estate right now and uh if you go back into offices, then you have issues with testing and upgrading the office space for safety and those kind of things. So there's a, a cost benefit analysis that needs to be made before companies do decide to go back into the, you know, the old style office um, setup. Yeah. But my point is, if you don't, if you're not already known in the industry, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. they're, how are they going to know you if you stay in, you know, Maine or whatever, like they're not going to know who you are, Mr. So, Steve, Stephen King. <laughs> you know, but do you, you see what I'm saying? Like, you have to be established to be able to do that. So, I think if you're like, you know, a new college grad or something, you might still have to consider moving to an industry center first to make it, and then move away if you wanted to do that. But sure. I don't know that you could establish yourself from far away unless you have really good connections somehow through your college or through people or whatever. 
like we've said before, a lot of stuff still has to start here in LA, whether it's yeah. the writing, the deals, the, the, you know, the financing, all that happens here before they go somewhere else and actually make the movie. Or the so show. what do you, what do you want to do when uh, lockdown lifts? What event or what thing or whatever are you really looking forward I to doing? I don't know. I, I will just, I just want to go visit my family. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. A lot of people are probably like that. Yeah. That's on my list. But, you know, as far as uh, fun industry things, and it, it's so funny because if you had asked me two years ago, I wouldn't have said this because it was so crowded. I actually kind of want to go back to Comic-Con. I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> and, and we just read that they canceled it again for the in-person Comic-Con mm-hmm. again this summer. So, yep. yeah, well, maybe next year or maybe in the fall, Comic-Con New York or something. We'll see what happens. I want to go. You, I know what you want to do. You want to go to Mario World. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's supposed to be here at Universal LA, but I'll go to the one in Japan, too. For yeah. sure. Yeah. For sure. Oh, my gosh. How about for all of you? What do you want to do when lockdown lifts? Let us know in the comments, and we will see you guys soon. 